It really has been great for us to be here these um, three and a half years, um, just to share life with you guys, to share in the life of this church. Um, you know, when we came here, we had one kid in college and another kid just starting college. Um, and now, just in this span of time, our daughter's about to graduate. Our son's graduated. He's married. Um, had two parents. Both my parents have passed since. When I got here, I didn't have any gray hair, and I still don't have any gray hair. So, <laughs> so there's parts of that. Um, parts of that's good. So, really glad to be able to do this today on my final Sunday in this particular role. So, we've been talking together on Sundays under the idea of abide, of living with God in the life that he wants us to live in the power of the Spirit. And what we're focusing on is a passage in Galatians that talks about some characteristics of our lives that happen when we do live in the power of the Spirit. And the writer here, Paul, uses a really interesting phrase. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit along the way, that it's something, it's not something we attain It's not something we try for. It's not something we manufacture. But just like apple trees produce apples and banana trees produce shade, because most of them don't actually produce bananas around here, but just like trees produce what they do, somebody that belongs to God, that has committed their life to Jesus, who's been filled with the Spirit, produces these aspects, that this is part of who we are. And so we are continuing in this series today of of these different characteristics of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today we're going to talk about two of the middle ones, kindness and goodness. And since this is my last day, I thought I'd pull back the curtain a little bit and talk with you about how we figure some of this stuff out about what we're, going to, what we're going to talk about. You know, that John's been really gracious in that we've shared in the process of figuring out what's coming up, and it's, and it's, you know, we kind of work our way through what parts of the Christian story have we covered and not covered, what are we hearing from people just in conversations with you all, what do we sense people are, are struggling with, what are, what, what's good for them. As we as a church develop, what do we, what do we need to talk about? Um, the prayer requests you guys share also give us some insight into just what's happening in people's hearts. And then we kind of figure those out, figure out a way to do it. Is there a hook that we can kind of talk about? Is, is there a particular passage that we want to connect that to or an idea? Um, and then we figure out who's going to do what. Now, obviously, John's primary role was to do the preaching, but I, I got to do this some of the time. And, and almost every series I would do at least one of the sermons And so that was, we had a number of criteria to decide who would do one. But the first question we always asked, and we finally got to use it for this series, was do we have any of the themes of the sermon series tattooed on our bodies? (laughs) Now, up to this point, that never never worked. Because as as far as I know, you have nothing, right? Not that I know of. And I, I don't... Anything else are things that I don't want to know. Um, but, but I do. I, I have, that's what it looks like up close the day that I did it. This is what it, if you ever wondered, is that a tattoo? Yeah, it is. I, I, I have that tattooed. Um, it, it just came at a time in my life where I was kind of looking ahead and, and, you know, I'd lived a lot of my life and it was like, what do I want the rest of my life to be about? What do I want to focus on? It was kind of a remind, you know, like people write reminders to themselves on their wrists or their hands. Well, this was kind of my 
reminder to myself. And, and the idea was is that I wanted to have more faith and I wanted to be more loving with the balance of my life. And what I've found is that kindness is sort of the leading edge of love. You know, you could say, of course I love that person. And maybe it doesn't have a lot of credibility, but you can do that. But you can never say in an angry voice, of course I was kind to that person. You can only be kind to them. And I found along the way that, that faith is a really big word, but usually the beginning part of faith is courage. And so if, for me, these were some kinds of things that I felt like I wanted to focus on. And it's what we're going to focus on today. So again, the two words in the, um, in the fruit of the Spirit that we're looking at today are kindness and goodness, that these are things that God wants to build in our life. But again, I, I want to remind you, of what is really good news. Because we see a list like, like this, and most of us immediately think of it as a to-do list, that these are things that I need to build into my life. These are things that I need to work on, I need to go get, I need to go grab. But the great news of this, again, is this is not achievements of the Spirit or goals of the Spirit or tasks of the Spirit. These are fruit of the Spirit. And that these are things that if you've given your life to Jesus are already there, that they are already happening in your life. It is something that God has given to you by virtue of being his son and daughter, that these characteristics are implicit in who you are right now. They're not something you have to go get. They're not foreign to you, but they're actually part of who you are. And I think Paul, the writer here, understands that we could very easily turn this into um, a task list, which is why he goes on to say this. He says, he's, just after he gives this list of the fruit of the Spirit, he says, let's, let's back up for a minute and understand who we are. That those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's us, have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. So basically saying the old way of doing life where you think it's up to you, where it's about your effort, it's about your skills, it's about your power, that's gone. As Jesus was crucified on the cross, he crucified all of those things as well. And that what our job now to do is to just keep up with what God's Spirit is doing. And he uses exactly that language. That it is our task now not to chase the Spirit, not to summon the Spirit, not to do enough good things that the Spirit will show up, but to simply keep up with what the Spirit is already doing in our lives. So the good news about this is that following God is not an uphill task. We tend to think that it has to be hard to be valuable, that if God wants to do something good in our life, there must involve effort, and there is effort. I mean, walking on a nice downhill path, you still got to put one foot in front of the other. But it's not hard work. The path runs downhill. It's not an uphill path to experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And, and I, I was trying to come up with a, a, a contemporary analogy for this. And people often come up with, like, technological analogies. Like, and, and they're always kind of lame. You know, God is like this. And so, like, I'm sure in the 70s, some pastor said, you know, the way that God can be at work in your life in so many different ways, it's just like an eight-track cassette where you could switch from this to that or something like that. And, and like, you guys are like, what's an eight-track, right? But, um, 
But, you know, there was something like that. And probably a hundred years ago, you know, like the, the, the way that the kingdom continues to spread is the way that the horseless carriage is enabling us to move everywhere right now. And probably in the 1870s, you know, Jesus is the light of the world in the same way that the gas lights have brought light into the darkness of our evenings and stuff like that. And so just understand that I'm already self-conscious about the analogy I'm about to share. So if you're thinking that's kind of lame, I can tell you why it's lame in even more ways than you do. Okay, so here's the deal. That what God is doing through the Spirit in our life, this fruit of the Spirit is sort of like an updated app showing up on your smartphone. Okay? You don't do anything. If you subscribe to it, I mean, you bought the phone, you're paying for it. Um, But... You know, especially if you have background updating, it just kind of shows up. You didn't do anything. It just sort of emerges. And the, the wonderful people at Apple or the other brands, they, they figure out what you need, and they send it to you. And in, and in fact, if you are an iPhone owner, you're probably really excited because just this last week, iPhone users got the thing that we'd all been waiting for. In the latest OS update, we got the taco emoji. Is this news to you guys? This is like a big deal. I mean, for people who spend a lot of time looking at their smartphones, this is a, this is a huge deal to finally have a taco emoji. You didn't know. You got an update. There's also a burrito one, but the burrito looks like a bad Taco Bell burrito, so I was a little disappointed. Um, but, it, but in any case... The apps just show up, but as CeCe is finding out right now, (laughs) if you don't push the button, it's not there. And that is what God wants us to do, and and that's that's what we're talking about today, is there are some really basic, practical, and probably kind of obvious in the way that most good things are kind of obvious once you figure them out obvious ways that we can experience the kindness and goodness that is already there in our lives. But the step that we have to take is primarily just to press the button and make it active in our lives. And so that's what we're talking about today is, is how, how do we get there? That you've just, you've got you've to press the button. Now, there are going to be parts where this is going to feel weird it's going to feel hard, but that's not because the path has suddenly become uphill. It's because unfamiliar always feels hard. And so the kind of kindness and goodness that God wants to build into your life is going to be stuff that you haven't done before. I mean, you can kind of draw a line from where you are now to where you're going to be when we fully yield ourselves to God in this. But it's going to be unfamiliar. And unfamiliar always feels hard. Even when it's better, it feels hard. When I, was, when I was coaching track and I would finally convince sprinters as they came out of the blocks to really commit to the drive phase, which is all technical, but basically the first four, four, five or six steps, you have to do something very counterintuitive to come out of the blocks really well. And I had a kid one day finally execute it correctly. He did six steps absolutely right And it felt so strange and so weird to have done it so well that he stopped suddenly and fell on his face in a race. It was was really a horrible thing. 
But, which is probably not the vision I want to give you here. But, <laughs> but, but the point is, is that this will sometimes feel awkward, but don't mistake that for hard and don't mistake that for effort. Just, mis- just understand that anything that is new and unfamiliar is going to feel kind of hard. But again, the great news that our main job is the Spirit is already at work doing this. The Spirit is already accomplishing these things in our heart, and He's preparing us to do this. And that our primary task is simply to keep up, to keep up with the Spirit, what the Spirit is already doing. So again, the ones we're looking at today is the fruit of the Spirit is... We're looking at the middle three. These, if you notice that the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them. And they tend to be grouped into three groups of three. And so John's already covered the first four. We're going to kind of go back a little bit and cover number four and then five and six because they're meant to be kind of taken as a chunk. And so this middle chunk of forbearance, sometimes it's translated um, patience. Um, Literally, it's long-suffering in the original language. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and then kindness, and then goodness. The reason I wanted to treat these together is after reflecting on them for a while, what I, what I saw what was in common, I looked at how these particular words get used together in other parts of the Bible. And you could see that in the mind of the author Paul writing this under the guidance of the Spirit, that these three are like a package, that one helps the other, which helps the other, that they all kind of work in, in sort of a... a a synergistic kind of way. And really, what the one way to look at them is, is we can always be patient or forbearing with one another. Um, there are always great opportunities for kindness. You don't need a circumstance where you need, you know, you generally don't have to be patient or forbearing until something presents itself to you. There's any circumstance where you can be kind or good. But especially these three, because of the way they're linked, I think are giving us some guidance into how we can respond to difficulties with one another. That what kindness and goodness are, are especially for is to give us a way that we can respond to hurts, that we can respond to difficulties, not out of our instinct, but in the power of the Spirit. Not out of what comes naturally, but in the new life that we have in Jesus. That one of the things that the Spirit has already built into you, that, that today hopefully we'll figure out how to push the button to make that active, is the ability to respond with kindness in any circumstance, but especially in difficult circumstances. That when you find yourself in a hard place, when someone has treated you poorly, that one of the marks of a person who belongs to Jesus is that they respond to that treatment with kindness, and so that's and and ultimately goodness, and that's what we're going to develop today. So, in a sense, what, what we have here is kind of a three-part thing. You have the problem, and forbearance deals with that that, that we've had difficulty with on one another. Kindness gives you a way to react, and then goodness gives you a way to go forward. But before we talk about that, I, I just want you to. I'm going to talk here for a minute, and I want you to kind of think as I'm talking about. What are your, what's the typical path that you follow when you get on the wrong side of somebody? Some of us run, 
Some of us fight back. Some of us do everything we possibly can to de-escalate. Some of us tell ourselves, I'm not going to escalate, and then, whew, wow, where did that go? Uh, <laughs> you know, we all have characteristic ways that we deal with hardship. So what, what, what's yours? Do you tend to run from it? Do you tend to chase it? Um, what are your characteristic ways of doing it? Because we all have them. But the good news of this, that, that one passage we read earlier on where it talked about how, um, you know, that God has, has saved us, that he's, he's, those aspects of us have been crucified, is that the good news that we're sharing today is that we don't have to be stuck in what our automatic or typical responses are. That is God, what God has built into you is another way to respond. So what is your, your, your typical way? So the first one, of course, is forbearance, which is a way of hanging in there, of, of doing this along the way, and then kindness and then goodness. Um, here's a passage to just show you the way that they're connected. Um, this is from Romans, same author as Galatians. It's Paul the, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. And this is kind of a backwards example. He's, he's basically, he's unhappy with the Romans that they're not being very gracious with one another. And so he's, he's reminding them of how God has been kind and forbearing with them, that he's shown patience and forbearance and kindness to them. And, and they seem to be very closely linked to each other in Paul's mind. And because it's how God has treated us. You know, part of the good news of the gospel is that we as broken people will do things that actually hurts the Lord. That when we let ourselves down, when we let others down, the Lord is, you know, we often think that the Lord is angered by that. I think more often he's just saddened by that. But rather than smashing us, rather than grabbing us and shaking us, the Lord reacts first with forbearance. Um, the word literally means, that's translated forbearance or patience here, literally means long patience or long, long, or long tempered, essentially is what it means. It's a, it's a, there's an idiom in, in Hebrew, the, the language of the Old Testament, that when you get angry at somebody, it says, your nose burns at that person. That's their idiom for getting angry. Um, and maybe, maybe you've been angry enough to experience that. Um, that. You ever had that where you've just felt so angry, like the, the front of your face was burning? Um, and so that, that's their idiom for angry. So somebody who's long-tempered or even-tempered or patient is said to have a long nose, in, in Hebrew. So actually a number of places in the Old Testament when it says the Lord is patient with his people, it literally says the Lord has a long nose for his people. Because um, the idea of if your nose burning is, is a sign of anger, someone with a long nose takes a long time to get angry. And that's what forbearance means. It means this idea of being long-tempered. So John covered that a couple weeks ago, but I just wanted to hit on it today because that's the first thing God is building into your life is this kind of long-temperedness, this forbearance. You have the ability to not react strongly, to hang in there, to not lose it, to not go off, that that is something that God has built into you. You've got to learn to push the button on that one too and, and let that emerge. But that is one of the characteristics of the people of God. 
um, not to run, not to bluster, but to just hang in there with each other like God does with us. What follows next is kindness. Now, there's several words that get translated kindness throughout the Bible, but the one here in Galatians 5 has a really interesting and specific meaning. Um, The words that are closely related to it have to do with things that fit well. And so, like, a suit would be something that's closely related to the word for kindness, if it fits you well. Um, Here's an example of how it's used. You can see it better here. This is a famous passage where Jesus is inviting people to come and follow him, to take away the burdens that they have, because that's all of us are burdened by the, the cares of life. And this is, this, is, this is one of those real gospel-in-a-nutshell verses where Jesus just says, hey, come to me who are tired. I'm going to give you rest. And he says, take my yoke, not egg yoke, but, you know, the yoke that go on oxen like this. You know, go, go to work for me. Because he says, I'm gentle and humble at heart. I, I, I really have your best in mind. And you'll find rest for your souls. And then he says this. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word that's translated easy there is the same word that's translated kindness in our passage. So the idea here is that Jesus' yoke is easy because it fits you. It's designed exactly for you. And and you guys know what that feeling's right. When you get something like clothes that fit exactly right or you've been struggling with something and you pick up just the right tool and it finally works, um, that's the word that's behind. That idea, that, that thing is behind the idea of kindness. So maybe a way of understanding this is, is kindness is more like fittedness. It is doing something for someone else that fits them that is exactly right for them, that makes them happy in a way that very much lines up with who they are and what's important to them. But the key thing, do you notice all the directions of that? Is that it needs to be about them and not about us. So for an act to be an act of kindness, it's not what we think ought to be best for them, It's what he thinks is best for him. It's not what I think she ought to want in this situation. It's what she says she wants or what, and we'll talk about this in a minute, I've paid enough attention to her to know what she wants. That kindness is not about my desires for the person. It's about reading that person's desires and that person's wiring well enough that the act that I, the thing that I do for them, the act that I give to them, the words that I say to them in kindness fit them. Not who I think they ought to be, not who I, I've prayed about this and I have a strong sense from the Holy Spirit that they're going to be this person someday. But it's the only standard for kindness is what that person values. It fits them. Now, there's obviously some limits in this. Your friend might be a pothead, you're not going to give them weed, okay? Um, They might like to dip pizza in ranch dressing. You're not going to do that because that's just wrong. You're not going to help with that. (laughs) You know, you're not going to take them to Olive Garden because that's, don't do that. Okay, so so there's some things, obviously, 
you know, there's common sense here, right, folks? There's some, some lines we just don't cross. Well, the party, party later. <laughs> um, but, but the key thing here is we often start with, if we want to be kind to somebody, what would be a nice thing that I could think of to do for that person? And it usually starts with our sensibilities. But the kind of kindness that, that Galatians is talking about here, that the Bible's talking about, that, that God has already put into your life, and we're, we're figuring out how to put that into play, is all about what he wants and what she, or what she wants. It's not about what I want. Now, there's some really functional value to this, too. Um, there, there's something really transformative about kindness, and I think this is why it's linked to long um, or patience, I forget the other word, and ultimately goodness, is there's something about an act of kindness that can take the heat out of a conflicted situation. And I think that's why we're reading this in terms of, of when our brokenness runs into the brokenness of other people, which is inevitably going to happen. All of us are, are broken. All of us have weak spots and jagged places, and eventually they're just going to catch, and we're going to run up against each other. And again, responding out of kindness as the next step, rather than anger, rather than control or something like that, is an incredibly powerful thing that God wants to do. But this is something I... I it was just like mine, you know, one of those things, somebody tells you something and you're literally just, mind, mind's just blown. So like a million years ago when I was in seminary, um, I took a class in pastoral counseling, which I was really excited for because I'm like, 25, what am I going to say to people? I don't know. And so it's like, give me a script. Tell me what to do here. Um, you know, I, we'd been married four years, seemed to be going Okay. So it's like, I don't even know how to work through problems because we're just, we're fine, you know. So what the guy did was essentially gave us a script. He's like, look, I'm in one quarter class. I'm not going to tell you what to do people that have professional degrees and years of experience can do. So his focus in pastoral counseling was to just, when people are conflicted, to find ways to lower the heat and to get them past that place where they're like this, where they can just calm down. And Essentially what he said, if you have a couple that's just like had it with each other and, you know, what do you want from him? I want him to be a completely different person. Well, that's kind of hard. So what are we going to do now? Um, but, but when you're in conflict, there's that sense that you do want something. And so what he said was, this is, he says, I don't know why this works as well as it does. But he says, ask them to do favors for each other. Ask them to do small acts of kindness. So if you have a, a, people that are just at each other, okay, don't strangle each other when you leave here. Here's what I want you to do. Wife, what do you want him to do? And it can't be, you know, completely live the last eight years of our life differently. That's not going to work. Or stop being a complete horrible person. That's, that's, that's not it. But no, some tangible thing tangible, recognizable thing. It doesn't have to have function. It just has to be important to you. So, hey, you said you were going to change that light bulb six weeks ago, and it's still there. Can you change that light bulb? And then as a counselor, you tell the guy, can you do this? Will you do this? And he says, okay. And then if the, you know, he asks the wife, um, 
you know, what, what, what would you like her to do? You know, I, I know, I know it's, it's, it's silly, but the hairbrush on the counter, it just drives me insane. Okay, can you, until we meet again, not leave your hairbrush on the counter? And I've tried this with people, and it works. There is something transformative about kindness. And the key thing was about that that I've, I've only figured out in recent years, it was because you had to do something that they wanted, that it, you were not the measure of your action, but your partner was. And there is just something transformative, and this is, this is why God wants to build it into our lives. There is something transformative that happens when we allow our action to be determined by the wants, the needs, the desire of this other person. That that is a significant part of how we love people and how we show kindness. That that is what kindness is. Now, here's the hard part. Is that almost every good thing has a shadow version of it that looks almost like the real thing, but isn't. You know, so in the way that Olive Garden looks like a real Italian restaurant, but it's not. Um, people-pleasing looks and feels a lot like kindness, but it's not. And here's the difference. I I asked a number of people. I posted something on the Facebooks this week. Um, If you want to keep up with me, I have a fairly strong presence in social media, so that would be a a good way to keep up with what's going on. Um, But I I asked this question, and there was a great discussion. I asked some different people along the way, too. And, And... Everybody does this. This is more predominant among women than it is among men, but men struggle with this too. Um, There are women who will punch you in the eye rather than deal with you, and there are men who will people please. So there's, there's a wide range among the human family. But in thinking about this, you know, people pleasing looks a lot like kindness. You find yourself in a difficult situation. You don't respond with anger. You respond by doing nice things for the person that you've fallen out with. But here's the difference, is that kindness is only about the other person. And and at least in my read, people-pleasing is about doing things, nice things for the other person in order to keep some sense of control on the situation. That people-pleasing is ultimately a soft form of controlling the circumstance. That maybe you don't feel like you have enough dominance to just control the situation, but if I'm nice enough to them, they'll have to like me. If I do this nice thing for me, then the temperature will drop and I won't feel as freaked out. And I can't deal with the fact that we're not getting along right now, so I'm just going to chase them and do enough nice things so that it looks like we're getting along. And it looks like kindness, But the difference is, is that with people-pleasing, it's all about the end. You're only doing this nice thing as a way to control the circumstance, as a way to maybe even manipulate the relationship at that point. Now, there's other ways, and, and we've all experienced this too, and we've probably done this. You can do very kind and nice things for entirely mercenary reasons. I think we've all probably done this, and we see it much more easily when people do it to us. We've probably all had that experience where somebody did a nice thing for us and we realized, you know, that was just a down payment. (laughs) 
And they gave with this hand, and they're going to come back with this hand at some point. You know, we've all had that experience along the way. So there are a number of things that kindness can look like that aren't kindness. And so it, it, is, it is kind of hard. I, I recognize that, that what we're talking about here is, is difficult because you have to do several things at once. And I, I, was, I was trying to think of a metaphor for this. And I was thinking of a golf swing because, you know, you have to move on like three different axes simultaneously. And then I thought, well, no one does that well or hardly anyone does that well. So that's a bad example. And it's a sports metaphor. And I'm trying to not use sports metaphors constantly because I realize that doesn't work for everybody that doesn't do sports. And anyway. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I think more what it's like is, is like walking. Now, you all walked in here. Um, and so some of you even walked up steps to get upstairs. And you're actually doing several things at once. You're moving your arms, you're moving your legs, you're moving your body in a particular way. Now, if you get self-conscious about it, it can be kind of difficult. You, you might remember a scene in 30 Rock some years ago where Jack Donaghy was going on TV and he suddenly became self-conscious with walking. And he was like, okay, is it left leg, right arm, right leg, left arm? Or is it left, left is, is it like that, you know? And if you get self-conscious about it, it can become awkward. But the reality is, is, is that you do complicated stuff like this all the time. Just walking in here is literally a more complicated... You, you walked in here and you didn't crash into somebody hard. You've done a much more complicated thing than what the Lord is asking us to do here, to differentiate between real kindness and down payments, mercenary kindness, or people-pleasing. It's entirely there. But the key thing to remember is that kindness and control, they cannot coexist. That kindness is ultimately about giving up control. So you find yourself in a conflicted situation. For me, my first instinct is how can I get control of this situation? How can I, how can I win, usually? And I'll win it by getting into control. But what God wants to do is to deliver us from that feeling like we've got to be in control of this. And that kindness is a way to stay connected without needing to control. But they don't coexist. You can't have kindness and control at the same time. It's not like, well, if I'm especially kind to people, then I'll really control the situation. No, that's, that's not getting it. It's about giving up control. So what does this look like? I mean, that, that all sounds really nice. So let me just say some things that are probably obvious in the way that like a lot of the right way to do most things is kind of obvious. Kindness begins with observing, with looking, with paying attention, of listening carefully to the people around you. And what I want to challenge you to do as a consequence of this today is identify somebody in your life and in the next couple of weeks, pay close attention to them. Observe what makes them happy. Observe the kind of things that bug them, but not what ought to make them happy, not what you wish they would like, but what do they actually like? What makes them happy right now for who they are? And those may seem trivial to you. They may seem daunting. But the point is, is this is not about your sensibilities. This is about the sensibilities of the person that you're going to be kind to. And so you start off just by paying very close attention to them. And here's the thing. If they love to talk, 
if it's conversation, don't just notice that they like to talk, but pay attention to how they like to talk and when and in what manner and on what topics. So this isn't just, oh, this person likes to talk. I'm going to talk to them. How do they like to talk? If it's a particular action, if it's something that they like to do, it's not just that they do it, but how and when and in what fashion, so that you're paying attention not just to the broad contours, but to the granular details of what makes this person happy that you're going to be kind to. If it's touch, and this, if it's touch, it should probably be somebody you're married to or like one of your kids or something like that, okay? Just, just saying. But if, if touch is something that, that, that makes them happy, you want to pay close attention to how and what and when and why. Um, a couple of months ago, I was, I was reading a, an article, um, and, and I had two great insights from this article. One was um, it, it was young adults on, I think it was like the Gawker website, that were writing reminiscences about dad moments that they'd had with their dads. You know, like classic, oh, I can't believe my dad. My dad's great, but he does this thing. It was those kinds of articles. And, and I realized, I mean, I should have realized this a long time ago, but I realized I used to read those things from the point of view of the kid talking about their dad moments, and I realized, no, these could be my kids writing about me. Of course, it wasn't. I don't have those characteristics, but it could be. And so that was, that was, that was a little disconcerting to just realize, you know, it's that moment when you watch movies that you stop identifying with the kids and you start identifying with the adults. Or, or you're old enough that you watch a movie. Um, there was a movie set in the late 70s that I saw recently that period movies are now set in your, in your life. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what's happening to me? So that, that was that. But the other part was there was just this really sweet anecdote, of, and it was about physical affection. So, so this one young woman was writing that her dad was just the, the nicest man, but very stiff, very undemonstrative. You know, if he said six words in a row, it was because you didn't hear the first three words and you asked him to repeat them. That was how he would get to six. He was that guy. And so when she was like 16 or 17, she said one morning she was eating breakfast and very awkwardly and without saying anything, her father just walked up from behind her and gave her, grabbed her, and then walked away. And then it happened the next day. He walked up and grabbed her. And then walked away. And then after three or four days of this, she realized, I think he's hugging me. <laughs> but because words weren't her dad's strong suit, you know, how am I going to clarify this? Because he can't talk to me because he doesn't talk to anybody. But after three weeks of her dad walking up and awkwardly grabbing her, she finally asked him, he says, Dad, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, it's nice, but what are you, what are you doing? And, and, his, and dad said, he says, well, you know, in our men's group at church, we were reading this book, and in this book, they said fathers should show physical affection to their daughters. And so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and and it, was, it was such a sweet story because this guy was doing his best. But, but you could see... The whole part of kindness, he'd, he'd missed. It was all he could think of is, okay, she's there. I will touch her with my arms. This is affection. <laughs> and it didn't work. Now, to, to experience affection, it's got to be designed for you. 
To experience kindness, it has to be designed for the person that we're giving it to. So, (coughs) sorry. You didn't want me sneezing into the mic. John's going to use this mic next week. He didn't want me sneezing into the mic. Even this is going to freak him out. <laughs> so if it's conversation, talk to them in a way that they want to be talked to. If it's, if it's, if it's actions, if you're doing stuff, it's got to be about them. And, and if, it's, if it's a gift, if it's some kind of object, it's not what you'd want to give them. It's what they would want. Now, this sounds really obvious, but this is hard to do. It is hard to pay that level of attention to people because our own desires for them, our own sense of what's right gets all wrapped up. And what God wants us to do and has given us the ability to do, it's there, we just got to use it, is to pay super close attention. And then having done that, after a couple weeks of observing, practice being kind to that person. And like most practice, you do it at slow speed. So if it's physical affection, you know, work your way up to it. If it's talking, don't block out three hours of talking and say, now after, you know, these many years of marriage, I'm finally going to talk to you in the way that I've discerned after two weeks of observation that you want to be talked to. That's not going to work, okay? You want to start slowly. You want to ramp your way up to this, okay? But here's the thing. It's like everything else. It's not effort, but it is practice. And if you just practice it, you get better at it. You press the button, and it shows up. You pay attention, and it becomes a habit. And pretty soon, what's going to happen is you're going to realize that you're doing this with other people in your life. It just becomes a habit of paying attention to what makes this person happy. What would make this person happy? And then... When you find yourself in conflict, when you find yourself in a difficult place, your response, instead of anger, instead of control, instead of trouble, becomes kindness. That's what God is trying to build into our lives. And then once kindness is down, there's goodness. Now, there's not a lot to say about this. This word only appears three times in the New Testament, and it's an explicitly Christian word. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Hellenistic Greek literature. It was like what God is doing in our lives is so unique and so good, they had to make up a word for it. And this is that. And the, and the best way I can get at this is the word is, is usually associated with abundance, and it's associated with beauty. And so while kindness responds to the best that someone can expect, goodness goes beyond their expectations. If kindness, we can begin to imagine what they imagine and what they desire, what goodness does is it goes beyond what the other person can imagine. It's even better than kindness. Still not controlling, still not troubling, but it's that much better. So friends, as we look forward to practicing kindness, remind yourself, I don't have to go look for it. I don't have to create it. I don't have to ramp up. The good news of the gospel is that it's already there. 
that God's Spirit is already at work in your life right now, that this capacity for kindness is already there. Now, there are some things that will block it. And again, that keeping up with the Spirit, the Spirit is already at work in your life, and if you just keep up with the Spirit, it's going to be there. But that means giving up control. It also means at this point that I'm supposed to ask Adjua and the band to come back up too. I forgot to do that. Um, but it means keeping up with the Spirit means giving up control. You could do one, you can do the other. You can have your focus on what God's Spirit is doing in your life, in your heart, and the life of other people's, or you could be trying to control yourself and control the world around you. You can't do both. It means giving up control. And then, ultimately, in the end, it means practice. It means practice. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward, because I've seen you guys over these years that we've shared. I've seen you guys take on challenges. I've seen you guys change. I can, I can, just looking at your faces, I can think of any number of stories of your lives were once like this and they're now like this because you yielded yourself to God's spirit. You said, yeah, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do. And it was great and it was transformative. And I'm looking forward to what that's going to be with you guys as well. But guys, it's a great thing that God is so deeply at work in our life that these things, like kindness and forbearance and goodness, they're already there. So just keep up with the Spirit, and then let's just start practicing. Practicing kindness and goodness. Thanks. Thanks.